0: Well, hopefully you've uh, already gotten in the game. We've uh, received uh, over 20 respondents so far with last month's challenge in regard to a cup of coffee for a coworker or some cookies or pie for your next-door neighbor. And uh, now it's October. We have a new opportunity for you uh, as we go into the fall here in terms of getting in the game and showing the love of Christ uh, the first one is, uh, as you purchase some pumpkins this fall, pick up a few extra for your neighbor. You're already buying them anyway, buy a couple more, drop them off. And then, of course, you could also bake a seasonal dessert, pumpkin spice cookies or pumpkin pie, for all you pumpkin people out there. Uh, do something nice for your neighbor that way, too. So that's uh, this month's challenge. Hopefully, you can get after that. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the amazing book of Genesis, in particular, chapter 26 today the very end of 26, verse 34. As we prepare our hearts to receive the message today, here's the text of scripture that we have for our study. Genesis 26, starting in verse 34. When Esau was 40 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. "'Perhaps my father will feel me, "'and I shall seem to be mocking him "'and bring a curse upon myself, and and not a blessing.' "'His mother said to him, "'Let your curse be on me, my son. "'Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me.' "'So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, "'and his mother prepared delicious food, "'such as his father loved. "'Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, "'her older son, which were with her in the house, "'and put them on Jacob, her younger son.' And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him. Because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, as you can see, I've set you up for a cliffhanger to see what's going to happen next. You have to come back next week, don't you? One of my heroes uh, of the faith in last few weeks, uh, actually about 30 days ago, passed away. Some of you might have known Stuart Briscoe. Stuart Briscoe was a pastor over in Elmbrook, Wisconsin. And I had interaction with his church uh, many times and actually had run into Stuart a few times over the years through various conferences and men's retreats and the like. (laughs) And so we kind of had an acquaintance with each other. And I talked to him uh, several times. I remember one occasion where I'd gone to a men's retreat, and I was visiting with Stuart Briscoe. Again, he's from England, an incredible preacher of the gospel, and so he had this wonderful accent, and uh, I can't mimic it or anything, but I was sharing with him at this men's retreat during a break. I was lamenting the fact that only 13 men had come from our church to the men's retreat, and I was just kind of like, man, I was just really disappointed, and just kind of going on and on, and again, he's quite a few years my senior, and he kind of looked at me with a a wry English smile and said, well, you know, Jesus only had 12 traveling with him. I was like, oh, yeah, good point, thanks. So anyway, that's the kind of guy he was. In his little book, Time Bandits, which I highly recommend, this makes a great Christmas stocking stuffer if you want a good gift to give to your family, Uh, Time Bandits by Stuart Briscoe. Uh, He's got a little account, a little story about Stuart Briscoe's early life. Before he went into full-time ministry, he was in the banking industry, and uh, he has an example of a situation that he was dealing with involving integrity. He says, for example, at the bank where I worked as a young man, I was told by the manager one day, if Mrs. Jones calls, tell her I'm out of the office. As we were the only two men in the small branch, I was surprised to hear that he was leaving me alone. So I replied, oh, are you going out? He was not known for patience and replied sharply, of course I'm not going out. Just tell her I'm out. But I replied hastily, oh, I can't say you're out if you're in. He replied, if you know what's good for you, you can certainly do what you're told. I was a very young and very scared and totally confused young man and this was new i did not like what i was hearing this man who during my relatively short business career had been very good to me greatly encouraging and assisting me in my promotions and suddenly shown a side i had never seen before and in a very shaky voice i said i'm sorry i can't do that he lost his temper completely threw papers in the air and shouted you will do what you're told wow what would you do in a circumstance like that? Well, as the old Billy Joel song goes, honesty, it's such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Of course, in our culture, in our society, this seems to be a problem more and more all the time, even right now. However, as Christ followers, we should be doing all we can to protect our integrity in all of our relationships, ultimately finding our integrity in Christ. Years ago, I was an executive pastor at a church, and there was a young man who was the youth pastor. And uh, as we were talking about some things, it became clear that he was misrepresenting some things to me. And I called him on it. I said, you know, what you're telling me isn't true, and I know it's not true. Why are you telling me these, these, these things that aren't true? And how long have you been wrestling with integrity? And he kind of said, well, I, you know, to." Try to get through things. I just kind of say what I want to say. I told him, that's not going to work for you. That's not going to go well for you. You need to be a man of integrity. We've gone back to the beginning in our sermon series, the book of Genesis, Living with Integrity. In chapter 27 of Genesis, we return to the account of Jacob, and last week we saw how Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright, and now today we will see how Rebekah, Jacob's mother, helps him steal Esau's blessing from his father Isaac. Culturally and historically, the privilege of birthright and blessing in a family was reserved for the firstborn. But Jacob, who God has sovereignly chosen to be in the line of the Messiah, and whose name literally means supplanter, trickster, has already secured Esau's birthright and only has the family blessing to acquire from his father to complete his deceptive overthrow of his brother." Again, we have been waiting for the child of promise as the book of Genesis unfolds. We are waiting for the revelation of the one who would come, born of a woman, as promised in Genesis 3.15. The one who would come, who would overthrow the evil one once and for all. And Now we see how the seed line of the promised redeemer has come to Jacob. And what we find in Jacob is a liar, manipulator, and a deceiver, And so it is clear that the Messiah that we are waiting for in our text is yet to come because it's not Jacob. We are longing for someone who is righteous, someone who can conquer sin and death once and for all, someone who will help us to worship in spirit and truth once and for all. But today, as this account unfolds, we'll see three spiritual truths to help us live lives full of integrity. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we look to your truth today, we are longing to be people of the truth, full of integrity. And Lord, if we were honest, we're not too dissimilar from that young man in my office years ago who just says, well, I often say things just to say things, whether it's true or not, to just get through. Lord, may that not be the case for us. May we be people of integrity, men and women full of integrity, so, Lord, use this text in our own hearts and lives. Bring conviction where it needs to be placed with what we need to get right, with how we deal in integrity with our relationships, and as we protect and pursue that which is truthful. But Lord, we need your help to do that. Open your word to us, and Lord, prepare our hearts to receive what you have. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth from this passage. Beloved, we should pursue integrity, first of all, with our parents. We need to pursue integrity with our parents. Scripture has much to say about how we should live with integrity with our parents. First of all, by honoring our father and mother. Notice what it says in verse 34 of 26, where we first started this morning. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Are they honoring them? No, they made their life bitter, it says. Esau knew that his father's Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was acquired from Abraham's people. Surely Esau knew the story and the implications and dangers associated with marrying the indigenous pagan Canaanite women, these Hittites. But he apparently disregarded his parents' wishes. In essence, he chose to dishonor his parents. And in doing so, he did exactly what he wanted to do and not what they wanted to do. In essence, he chose to dishonor his parents. And in the process, he made their lives bitter. Exodus 20, verse 12, we're told by way of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I ask you, if your father and mother are still living, what do you need to do to honor them? Or if you haven't honored them historically, what could you do right now to honor them? Instead of making their life bitter, what can you do to help them have awesome lives? We need to pursue integrity with our parents by honoring them. First of all, by honoring them, but secondly, by listening to their instruction. This is another way we honor our parents. It also demonstrates how we love them as we listen to their instruction. Again, Esau clearly neglects the family mandate to pursue a wife from the family clan descended from Abraham's extended family by taking two Hittite wives. One was enough, but two on top of it. Thematically, throughout Scripture, we see the strong admonition from God: no intermarriage with nonbelievers, no intermarriage with those who are faithless. You recall it was the descendants of Noah, as uh, Cain intermarries with the descendants of Cain intermarry with the descendants of Seth, and the whole human race is corrupted. The New Testament, of course, teaches that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 23 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. How are you doing with that? Are your parents glad about you? Esau had made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Beloved, we should pursue integrity with our parents by listening to their instruction, by honoring our father and mother, thirdly, here by obeying their rules. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 1-3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Young people, I ask you, are you honoring your parents? Are you listening to their instruction? Are you obeying their rules? In my family, I was the youngest of four children, My sister, who I love and is probably listening to this service this morning, constantly, bless her heart, constantly argued with my dad. In her attempts to have her way with my dad, I observed that she never, never, ever won in an argument with my dad. So as the youngest of four, what did I learn? Don't argue with dad. And I chose to listen to my parents. I followed their rules, and in the process, I did my best to honor them. And in so doing, they in turn honored me and blessed me with great privilege and freedom. Get a clue here, especially you dear young people. Listen close. By the way, even at 59, I'm still endeavoring to honor my mom and dad. Beloved, we should pursue integrity with our parents by honoring them, by listening to them, by obeying their rules. But secondly, also, we should pursue integrity with our children. Okay, parents, listen up. Notice what it says in verse one. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious foods such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Again scripture has much to say about our pursuing integrity with our children. We should pursue integrity with our children first of all by doing all we can to bless our children. Here in our account We see Isaac's heart's desire is to bless his firstborn son. And this is all good and it's all right. Of course, we as parents should seek to bless all of our children. And I ask you, as a parent, are you indeed a blessing to your kids? Do they see you that way? If not, what needs to change in how you are approaching them or how you are loving them? Beloved, we need to pursue integrity with our children by doing all we can to bless them. Think about it. What are you saying even today that's a blessing to them? But secondly, here, by doing all we can not to provoke our children, having unreasonable rules, rules that keep changing, perhaps being too strict or perhaps even being too lenient, inconsistency in your parenting. Maybe you're just too moody. You're not one of those moody parents, are you? What else? Maybe you are involved in favoritism or you're honoring one over against all the others or you've singled out the one to be the brunt of your anger and rage. Listen to what scripture screams here. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul says in Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Hey, parents, understand, just with a crack that you make, you can be a huge discouragement to your kids. You know they're already under attack in our culture. You can be that one that blesses them and encourages them. Don't provoke them. Ask them how you're doing. They'll tell you, unless, of course, they know you're a hothead. Then they might not want to. But as parents, we should be exercising godly discipline along with Christ-like compassion. We need to pursue integrity with our children by doing all we can to not provoke them. And then thirdly, by doing all we can to demonstrate compassion toward our children. How are you doing on demonstrating compassion? We're all longing for compassion, aren't we? We want the compassion of God and of Christ. We want compassion from each other. But why is it that we're so, it's so hard for us to issue and give compassion to those we hold dear by way of our children. Psalm one hundred three thirteen. as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What we're talking about here is, there's two dynamics that need to go on here. Godly discipline along with Christ-centered compassion. So you see the components here. Let's just take a look at the various ends that we have here. Obviously, we have the love-hate continuum on the horizontal And again, we want our kids to know that we love them, but we know some of our kids, they think that we hate them by how we treat them and how we think we're parenting. But on the other end, we've got the the vertical where we've got discipline and training where we're trying to teach them how to be. And on the other end is absolute neglect, no discipline whatsoever. For us as Christ followers, the component we need to strike is this first quadrant here. Godly parenting, where we're demonstrating love and discipline in our training. One of the problems that I've seen even in my own parenting and I've seen in in others is we don't always do this very well. Sometimes we start executing judgment, discipline, and we've never done any training. So for example... We say to the seven or eight-year-old, hey, I want you to sweep the kitchen. And we toss him a broom and then we leave and we come back 20 minutes later and it's really done poorly and it's horrible. And what do you do? You can't sweep, you're no good at this. You give him a hard time. Let me show you how to sweep. Well, shouldn't you have showed him how to sweep to begin with before you were critical with him? Again, let's make sure that we're training our kids first of all before we have expectations from them. A lot of times we come to them thinking that they're already adults and we start treating them as a colleague when in reality they don't know how to sweep the room. They've never done that before. So bring them along. Take them with you. Hey, let's, sweep the, let's, let's, uh, let's do it together. Let's sweep the kitchen today. And let's do this together. And I'm going to show you how to do it well. And then now we have the expectation in place because you've done the training. That goes with countless issues. We need to pursue integrity with our children by doing all we can to demonstrate compassion toward our kids, even some cases when they're wayward. When you are in rebellion, how do you want people to treat you? Do you want people to treat you harshly? Or do you want people to come alongside you and help you walk rightly? Don't forget, it's the compassion, it's the Kindness of God that led us to repentance to be to begin with. Again, we should pursue integrity with our kids by doing all we can to bless them, by doing all we can not to provoke them, and by doing all we can to demonstrate compassion toward our children. Lastly, we need to do all we can to protect our own integrity. And here we see this huge mess with Rebecca and Jacob. We need to do all we can to protect our integrity. First of all, we shouldn't even contemplate deception. We shouldn't even think about it. In other words, that's where we need to shut it all down, right at the very beginning before we find ourselves in the midst of it. Don't even think about it. In other words, don't be ruled by your selfish desires because that starts the ball rolling Notice what it says in verse five. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. I heard what he said. And what's going on here? Well, Rebecca's got a favoritism problem. She favors Jacob over Esau. And of course, dad liked Esau more than Jacob. So this is a recipe for disaster. Notice how, first of all, the information came through eavesdropping, and that's bad enough as it is. But then you throw in a big dose of favoritism where she wants Jacob to receive the blessing over against Esau. We want something, we desire it, and we have to have it. You know what you want to do or you know what you want to have, so you ask yourself, what must I do to make it happen? And our selfish desires begin to control us instead of being controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Beloved, we shouldn't contemplate deception. Don't be ruled by your selfish desires. But secondly here, don't invite others to participate in your deception. So look, now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Now she's inviting her son to be a part of this horrible ruse. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. Oh, I know what kind of food he likes, I'll do it. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Oh man, misery loves company. We, always, we don't mind having some accomplices to work with us. This of course would be a time when you as a child would rightly choose not to participate with an evil scheme presented by one of your parents. Sometimes deceitful planning involves coercion, getting something else to go along, getting someone else to go along with your deception. This can also perhaps involve blackmail or extortion or just involving someone who just is as highly motivated as you are with a situation or perhaps duping someone into doing something foolish and wicked. Beloved, don't go there. Don't invite others to participate in your deception But thirdly here, don't rationalize your deception. Notice the rationalization that takes place here in verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Listen to what she says. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother says to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Jacob presents an objection to the plan in verse 11, but his mother drops an incredible rationalization in verse 13, let your curse be on me. But is that how curses work anyway? I don't know. Deceitful planning usually involves an ultimate irrational rationalization where somehow sinful means justify our selfish ends. Justifications for sin are often very subtle, but sometimes they are outright blatant. But justifying our sin should never be the case for us as Christ followers. There's a great article by a guy named Harry Osborne, and he lists a few justifications that we use for sin, and he's got it all scripturally backed, which is really awesome. But listen to some of these justifications. Well, it's his fault. Instead of accepting responsibility for wrong, some see their own sin as the fault of someone else. It's easy to blame shift. It's really their fault. Or secondly, but it really will cause good in the end. Some of us try to mitigate the problem of sin by claiming that good will come of it. I'm really after some better end in the midst of my lie. No, that's not going to work before God. Or thirdly, it's just a matter of interpretation. Some try to escape the divine charge of sin by saying that sin is vaguely defined and just a matter of interpretation. And if you saw the scriptures the way I did, then you could do whatever you wanted to do. Or fourthly, you just don't understand. This is the opposite of the above ploy. This one seeks to justify sinful actions by claiming the problem is not in their sin, but in the ignorance of the accuser. You just don't understand what's going on. If you were me, you'd be doing this too, which is just a lie from the pit of hell. Or sixthly here. But look at all the other good things. Some simply overlook their own faults due to the other good qualities they possess. Notice all the other good things I do. This isn't so bad that one thing I do. Aren't I an awesome person? Doesn't that outweigh the bad? Again, we have all kinds of justifications for sin. For this author, he says, the end product in every case is always a lie. No matter what the tactic of self-justification, it almost always ends with lying. Self-justification is a dangerous approach to dealing with our sins. Instead of trying to rationalize away our guilt, we ought to admit it and seek God's forgiveness. Instead of trying to excuse ourselves before others and maintain our pride, we ought to humble ourselves and admit our wrong. Confession is good for the soul, both now and eternally. Man, I've had people lie to me about stuff you would not believe. Even when we have evidence, in one case, a guy said he didn't do something to a woman in a store, and we had video evidence of what he did. And you're like, dude, we know what you did. No, I didn't do that. We, it's on video. And he still maintained. You know what? It was four years later when he finally came forward and says, you know, I did do that. Well, we already know that. We saw the video. Unbelievable what we'll hold to to try to make ourselves better, to uphold ourselves. Don't rationalize your deception. Secondly here, we shouldn't work toward deception. Not not only should we not conceive it, don't start working toward it. Verse 14, so he went and took them and, and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food so now he's participating off we go says his father loved then rebecca took the best garments of esau her older son which was with her in the house and put them on jacob her younger son and the skins of the young goats And she put on his on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son jacob notice the ongoing movement toward deception nobody's pumping the brakes Notice all the work involved to bring about the deception. Notice the waste of assets in the deception. Notice the absolute waste of time and talent in deception. Oh man, we worked so hard. What a waste of time. Just go with what's true. Two goats wasted, the cooking efforts, what a waste. Notice the incredible work and effort it takes to hide the truth as Rebecca and Jacob worked toward literally pulling the wool over Isaac's eyes. That's where that phrase comes from. But thirdly here, not, not only should we not conceive it or start working toward it, we shouldn't implement the deception. And so now we see the implementation. Verse 18, so he went into his father and said, "'My father!' And he said, "'Here I am. Who are you, my son?' Right here, all he has to do is say, it's Jacob. It's all he has to do, and it's over. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac says to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? All he has to say is, I'm Jacob. (laughs) That's all he has to say. It's over. Because the Lord your God granted me success. Liar, liar. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's Jacob. That's all he had to say. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? Again, to stop all this nonsense from the very beginning in verse 18, all Jacob has to do is answer this first question honestly. Who are you, my son? I'm Jacob. Jacob is given at least five opportunities in the midst of this deception to escape, and he doesn't take advantage of any of them. Verse 18, who are you, my son? Verse 20, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Verse 21, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 24, are you really my son Esau? Verse 26, come near and kiss me, my son. Over and over again, he's got a way out of this, and he won't take the off ramp. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, won't be on the screen, listen close. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. You might think, well, I got this. Maybe you think you're standing. Be careful. You might be up for a fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jacob, you had five opportunities to endure this. The conclusion of 1 Corinthians 10 12 and verse 14 is therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run for your life. Why? Because misrepresentation, lying, deception is idolatry. Oh. It matters. Truth matters intensely, immensely with my friend, Stuart Briscoe, after his boss said, you'll do what you're told. Stuart responded, I'm so sorry I've offended you, but I don't know why you're angry with me, he says. All I've done is tell you that I will not tell a lie for you. Why are you angry? You should be glad in the knowledge that if I won't tell a lie for you, I won't tell a lie to you. You can trust me. His boss stormed out of the room. The steward adds, Give him credit. He returned about an hour later and said, I'm so sorry. And you need to know one thing I will see that you go to the top of this bank. We need people of integrity. Truth matters, it always has mattered. And the only way we can have access to the truth is to have access to Christ. Why? Because He, in fact, is the truth. As Christ followers, we should be doing all we can to protect our integrity in all of our relationships, ultimately, finding our integrity in Christ. Beloved, we need to find our integrity. You need to find your integrity in Christ Jesus. He is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is full of truth. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thirdly, we need to listen to his voice of truth. Notice it says, then Pilate said to him in John 18, 37, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, Jesus says, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you bearing witness to the truth of Christ, knowing that he is the voice of truth and that we need to be listening to what he has to say? Truth is ultimately realized in Jesus John writes, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How horrible would it be if all of this ends up to be a fabrication and a great deception, when in reality we see in the scriptures that the sum of thy word is truth. It all adds up to that which is true, and we can bank our lives on that by his sheer grace. As we turn to the Lord's table and we reflect on the truth of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, we're moved toward him because he will always tell us what's true. He will never practice to deceive us, ever. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. And by this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate in the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for you on the cross. And of course, the cup represents his shed blood on your behalf and full payment for all of your sin once and for all. It's for all those who received Christ as Savior. If you have children with you, make sure they understand the gospel. As a matter of fact, if they haven't made a profession of faith, I encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as they understand the nature of the gospel and can take part and participate in a meaningful, truthful way. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. In 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In this warning, there are two potential concerns. Partaking in an unworthy manner, first of all, perhaps you have professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something you are holding in contempt with how you are living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent and turn to him, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart as a witness to you. But better yet, even right now, make things right with God through confession, through repentance and commitment. And then we invite you to freely join us. The second possibility is that perhaps you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you're an unbeliever. If this is the case, I would encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in through hypocrisy. But again, even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to Christ in faith. Turn to him for your salvation right now in this moment. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life even right now. Find forgiveness, reconciliation with God and find a new life. Sins washed whiter than snow thrown from you as far as the east is from the west. Don't wait a moment longer. And then we invite you to freely join us in this remembrance. We're going back to our distribution of the elements that we haven't done in this way since before the pandemic. So as the elements of the bread and cup are passed, please note that both elements are contained in two cups that are stacked together. So when you go to reach for your elements, make sure you grab two little cups The bread's in the bottom, and the juice is on the top. So please note, you need to grab two little cups with one grab. They're stacked together. So please make sure you get both cups. And as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements as you are served. We will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cups separately. So at this time, I'd like to invite the board members and elders to come forward to serve. And as they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all your sins once and for all. You may proceed, gentlemen. Go ahead. Holy Father, it has been so good to, to be in your presence, to hear your truth today. And Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we ask that you'd help us to apply the truths that we've heard that we would pursue integrity with our children, we pursue integrity with our parents, and that we would do all we can to protect our integrity before you and before everyone else. Lord, we need your help to do that. We can't do it in our own strength, but help us to be people of truth. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for ministering to our hearts today as we've Spent time singing your praise as we heard your word and we spent time remembering Jesus and what he's done for us. Thank you for your outrageous gift, your incredible love for us. So Lord, thank you. And Now as we leave this place, we ask that you go before us and that you use us for your purposes. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a beautiful rest of your day.